From understanding the news of today to explaining principles which will last a lifetime, you're listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, equipping pastors and church leaders across rural America and beyond to meet the challenges of ministry while advancing the kingdom of God in your local community and in our world. You are listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast. My name is Michael Bond, and I'm joined today by Mel Massingale and Todd Stanley. Salutations. Hello, hello. Okay, so I have a few things I want to talk about today. We'll see how far we get. Uh, the first one, I've been reading through Ezra and Nehemiah. <clears throat> um, just to recap, if someone hasn't read through those books recently, um, Ezra... This and, is a church leaders podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. So they, they haven't been reading the Bible. Either. It should be the case that we don't need to do this, but we'll keep it super brief. Um, Ezra and the sons of Israel rebuild the temple um, uh, on the edict of Cyrus um, after the Babylonian exile. Nehemiah <laughs> rebuilds the wall and other parts of Jerusalem, and uh, both of them face obstacles, and I think Nehemiah more so than Ezra in the form of discouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I want to know is what do you do uh, when someone is trying to discourage you in ministry? I think that this is probably pretty common for pastors, for people to, uh, well, you know, not even just pastors, but anyone who is uh, seeing some success Mm -hmm. or doing a good job, they could face discouragement sometimes from unlikely sources, like people who are closest to them or people who should want them. Yeah. Even in their home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what can, what can that look like? Uh, Maybe let's talk about the different kinds of discouragement that you've faced and how have you tended to handle it? I think some of it, um, it's easy for me personally to um, look at opposition um, and 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 automatically assign um, intention to all of that. And you know, it's easy for me to go, "They're a bad guy because they're opposed to me. They don't love me. They don't like me. They're, you know, whatever." Um, But it's important for me, I think, to to differentiate in my own heart. Um, you know, okay, hey, this is actual opposition, that this person is against me uh, versus, okay, this person has the right intention and the right heart. They just maybe presented an idea or presented um, their contrarian thought with the, with the wrong heart or in the wrong way. or um, And so I've got to separate those things out yeah. for myself or I'm always going to feel like I'm a victim and I'm always going to yeah. feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm being, you know, being attacked or... Um, cause it can, it can happen anybody, a board member, um, a, a staff person, um, your, your spouse. I mean, I talked to a lot of pastors that their one of their primary points of contention is in their marriage because their spouse is in opposition for some reason, or they didn't like something yeah. or whatever it might be. And so I think it's the first thing I have to do personally is go, okay, Hey, what is really going on here? And, uh, and that helps me kind of sort through some of that. Yeah, that's especially important, I would think, for professional communicators, because you have to keep in mind that the people that you're working with, they're not professional communicators often. And so that comes with the problem of sometimes not knowing how to communicate something (laughs) and not being tactful. (laughs) And so, yeah, like they could just be trying to, they could be making an argument or making a claim that is uh, coming across as not what it actually is. And so that's one of the... um, 
Okay, so there's this in the, the debate community, there's this idea of steel manning, which is the opposite of straw manning. So mm -hmm. when you straw man someone's argument, you you try to mischaracterize it, make a weak version of it, and then yeah. attack that thing. And then to steel man would be the opposite, to just to, to take whatever the person's saying to you and to try to make the case back to them at least as well or better than they made it to you. Mm -hmm. And one of the positive side effects of that is that you may be able to get closer to what they're actually trying to say, and then yeah. you might find out that it's not actually criticism or it's not actually yeah. discouragement yeah. yeah and i think i think too you know uh we have to be be able to separate whether they're opposed to like are they opposed to me as a person yeah. right or yeah. are they opposed to an idea that yeah. i have championed you know because uh, it's easy to to take things personally and think man they're opposed to me and kind of melt you know kind of alluded to that like well they, they just don't like me or whatever it's it's easy for us to do that and sometimes they don't. Sometimes that is the case, that they are <laughs> opposed to you. That is right? true. Um, and that's a whole different conversation, right? Yeah. And that's a whole other issue. But, <laughs> but we need to have maturity um, to be able to separate whether or not they're opposed to me as a person, me personally, or whether they're opposed to an idea. Uh, and then once, we are, once we're able to separate those things out, well, if they're opposed to an idea, is it because the idea is bad? You know, am I humble yeah. enough to be willing to say, okay, they're opposed to this idea. They're discouraging me in this path. Well, because maybe I haven't thought about all yeah. of the mm -hmm. possibilities. Or or maybe they just have a different viewpoint and that's okay. And being being a leader in this moment means pursuing what I believe God has called us to do in spite of the fact that they're opposed. Or being willing to listen to wise counsel and go, okay, well, maybe we need to hold off for a minute and, and rethink about this and relook at this. Um, those are difficult things to do as a leader, though, because we get really uh, personally invested in the yeah. things that we feel strongly about. Well, because it's our ideas and our leadership yeah. and our all that stuff. Yeah. But And, and with all that said, I don't want to overlook the fact that there are times people are used by Satan. And I'm not saying that in a joking way. <laughs> right, right. Like Satan really does use people to attack leaders. And not every attack or every um, opposition is satanic in nature, but there are some. And so you can't disregard everything as, well, they just don't understand me. Sometimes it is... It is a deeply spiritual, um, and, and you see this, you know, you mentioned Ezra and Nehemiah. Right. You saw that, you know, um, there was opposition from within to some degree, um, and that was not, I don't think, satanic in nature, but then there was external opposition that was, I think, deeply satanic, that it was, hey, we are opposing the kingdom yeah. expanding and God's mm -hmm. purposes, um, and so, yeah, yeah, you got to be careful about, you know, how you sort through it, but... I mean, you know, to your point, Todd, and I'm not, I can't use any names or specifics, but it wasn't, I mean, I'm not, it was six months ago, there was somebody that was upset with me about a decision we'd made, and I invited them to come talk to me about it, and pretty quickly we found out, oh, you're, you're not really upset about the thing you said you're upset with. Yeah. You don't like me, and you don't trust me, so let's talk about this. And at the end of the conversation, I'd love to say, like, we were holding hands and skipping out of my office together, but we weren't. Yeah. I think they still don't like me, and right. I think they still don't trust me. Um, but it's like, we've got to have those conversations and we've got to call it out and we can't just leave that stuff and hope it's going to get better. Cause it will not. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah. So when someone is targeting you as an individual, is it possible to reconcile that? Because like, how do you talk about that? I mean, if they're, if they're, problem is with the source of you like if mm-hmm. their problems with you as a conscious being then their problem <laughs> is with you as, as the source of your ideas like it, it's, it's not going to matter what idea you bring forward yeah. it's because the idea came from you so it's going to have a uh like a it's going to have a blemish on it yeah everything is tainted yeah. because right. it yeah. sources yeah, yeah and yeah, so i don't sense. know i mean if you can discern that you know they are not in the ideas game and they're in the you know they're at the point where they're just making ad hominem and they're just going right Right. after you as a person then maybe it's time to just back off and kind of let that cool down or i don't even know if it's possible to reconcile that i mean i think we have we always have to leave room for the holy spirit Mm -hmm. right so the the answer to your question is it possible is yes it is possible um but i think that it has to be a work of the holy spirit yeah i don't think that um naturally that if someone is seriously opposed to you personally, right, as, as a conscious being, as you put it, right, if, if that's really there, then odds are you're not going to resolve that. I mean, take Mel's example with that yep. conversation. When they left the office, right, he, they still don't trust him. They still are opposed in some, you know, and so outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, the chances are very low. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean we don't try because we trust in the Holy Spirit and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And if we're humble and, and if the other person is willing to be humble, I mean, free will is, is you know, it is what it is. And so, uh, but we have to make the attempt, I think. Yeah, when Todd wasn't around in the earliest days, I mean, Todd got here about six months after I came. But um, um, when I first came, there was some bad, bad leadership is probably too strong. There was there was some questionable decisions from the board level as far as the transition went with the pastors. There were some things they should have communicated that they didn't. Uh, there were some things they probably shouldn't have communicated that they did. Um, and there were some people that were really, really, really unhappy in our church when we got here. And uh, my first 90 days at Summit Church, I got so much hate mail. And it was like... <laughs> letters and emails and um, Facebook messages and Facebook posts and all kinds of stuff. And it was uh, it was hard. Like it was enough that our staff was talking about it in staff meeting going, hey, did you guys see what do we do about that? You know, like we were having those kind of conversations. And um, and, you know, I've talked about this in the past, but I mean, the first thing we did is I just said, I'm not going to address it publicly. Like I'm not going to stand on the platform and you know, talk about all the bad press I'm getting. Uh, Cause I said, I don't need to, people see it. But I said, we are going to address it individually. So we just invited literally every person who we saw or heard. I just invited them to come have a conversation and I had zero, none of them took me up on it. Um, and that was frustrating for me. Cause it was like, Hey, you won't even have a conversation. Have you ever read the book of Matthew 18? <laughs> Do you know what that says? Um, and so we just loved them. Like, really, really well. Um, so I invited them to come have a conversation. If they refused, it was like, okay, well, I'm not going to kick you out of the church. And so we just treated them really well. We loved them. We honored them. And the ironic part is all of, all of those families and individuals, um, who wrote hate mail, um, all of them are still in the church except for one family. Um, and the ironic part is some of the people who welcomed us the warmest 
with the most open arms. Yeah. You're going to be, I can't wait. You're you're God's, you're God's man for this hour. We've prayed for you and come over to our house and we want to be your best friends. Those people left badly. Um, huh. and literally yeah. I, I think yeah. back to my first few weeks here, the people that were so anxious to get lunch with me and encourage me and you know, they're gone and gone badly. Um, but the people that were most upset with me are still around. So how did you survive that onslaught, that initial onslaught as like, as a, as a leader in a new area, far from home? I mean, yeah. maybe it's because you weren't, a, you weren't new at leadership. And so you had some experience there. Did you yeah. come in expecting it? Like, how, no. did, you, how did your confidence survive? No, that? I thought they were going to like every service, they were going to carry me out on their shoulders. <laughs> and like, that's the expectation, right? Like you just think they're going to love me and I'm going to love them and it's going to be perfect. It's like marriage. You think marriage is going to be perfect and the honeymoon ends and you're like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> wow. Okay. This is not what I expected. Right. And, um, she squeezes the toothpaste in the middle <laughs> that's what i'm talking about <laughs> so uh so yeah there were it was challenging i never i mean the, it sounds weird to say it this way but i had a, a mentor that just reminded me he said mel if if god has called you there then stay and he said and this is the thing you're gonna do their funerals for them someday uh just remember remember you know remind yourself of that you know you're you're there you're gonna stay and you're gonna wait them out <laughs> it was like deal and, um, you know, we had great board support. Um, that was huge. Um, the staff was supportive, um, you know, so that, that made it all easier, but, yeah. um, uh, but it was hard cause we all want to be liked. And part of it too, that made it a little easier was our church was growing in spite of that. Um, so by the time got Todd got here, we were you know six months in, we were starting to grow, but it wasn't like crazy. Like it did, you know, the next couple of years after yeah. that. But, you know, salvations is the ultimate trump card. I mean, if people are getting saved, it's real hard to argue with that. Like, Mel's leadership is terrible. He's bad. He's not godly. It's like, well, people are getting saved every Sunday. So how do you explain that? Mm -hmm. Well, So this might be 101, but uh, it sounds to me like if you're a pastor who's thinking about going to take leadership in a new church, um, what might be more important than whether or not the congregation is welcoming and receptive of you is the integrity of the board uh -huh, and like sure. the elders and the people who are the staff. Yep. Like, and if you have that, then you could have a, you can, you can survive a hostile congregation or a congregation who's at least partially hostile. Maybe. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's absolutely the case. Um, and I think, I think it depends on the leadership structure of the church as well. If it's yeah. congregationally run, um, they can vote you out. Yeah, any, the, any week they want. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Uh, and that was one of the things I looked at whenever I was interviewing. I was like, let me see the Constitution and bylaws. And it was like, okay, you know what? They can't get rid of me on a whim. Like, they can get rid of me, but it's not easy. They got to jump through some hoops, and yeah. it is it is some work. So if they, if they try to get rid of me, it'll be really hard. And if they actually do, then I probably deserve to be gone. Um, <laughs> and so it was like, okay, I've got time to uh, – to see if what we're theorizing will work and what we feel like God's laid on our hearts. So, you know, that helped. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, uh, man, just, just from personal experience, right. And, and, and still these are things that you wrestle with it. You know, we have to allow the Holy spirit to, to reveal what's in us. Mm -hmm. Right. And, or, you know, be self-aware, <laughs> uh, recognize the things that we wrestle with. There are, man, I, it is not uncommon in ministry for 
for those who are in ministry to to want people to really like them, yeah. right? And so if you're in a situation where it feels like these people don't like me, you know, if there is a lot of vocal opposition and that kind of thing, our tendency can be to, to cut bait and run. Uh, I know, you know, early in ministry, that was definitely something that I struggled with. Like, mm -hmm. if man, if this gets tough, you know, if they don't like me, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now and, and been, been doing this long enough now that it's not that those feelings don't still come up, but it's that I, I recognize them for what they are now. Yeah. And so then you go, okay, hold on. Yeah. You know, what does God's word say? Has he called you here? Do you know, have you, have you been in conversation with God about this? Do you know, you know, those kinds of things. And then, and then you're able to, to weather some of that. And, and, and if you have a good team around you and you know mm -hmm. that they've got your back and you know that, you know, all of those things make a huge difference. Um, but if we, if we just react to our emotion or the way I'm feeling in a moment, that's probably never a really a, a, a good thing to do. Yeah. yeah, I think of conflict aversion, almost like a gym aversion. Like as many people <laughs> dislike conflict as they like going to the gym. Yeah. Right. Um, and, but I think one of the things that we have to be mindful of is that we should almost be happy that opposition is there in some sense, because opposition refines you. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a, a lot of discernment that needs to be done as to whether or not it's like credible opposition and whether, or yeah. whether it's just Satan trying to undermine the work that God wants to do in this yeah. space. Um, but you know, we shouldn't, opposition's important in some sense. Like it's almost vital. I mean, what would happen? What would happen yeah. if you didn't have any opposition in your ministry? Like what would you end up looking like? Would you start to atrophy? Like, would you start to yeah. uh, kind of just become convinced of your own ideas mm -hmm. no matter what they are? And yeah, then no matter just, what the outcome. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think, I think that's what happens a lot of times. I mean, some of the churches we talk to, they're like, there's an echo chamber, right? So they just, we're doing everything right. <clears throat> it's just those people outside our church. Yeah. Something's wrong with them. It's like, well, no, that's why your church has been shrinking for 45 straight years, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, because you have stopped believing that you could be wrong, um, you know? And so when we lack opposition or when we lack the ability to see value in opposition, that's when we do. It's the beginning of the end for us. The, the um, personally picture, or corporately. The picture that just the picture that comes to my mind is like I think it's literally an opposing force that causes an airplane to fly, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And sometimes we can mistakenly think that opposition is, uh, well, that it's that it's never good, right? Uh, and certainly it's never easy to navigate, but it may be the very thing that causes us to take flight. It may be the very thing that we need to give us the lift that, you know, that propels mm -hmm. us. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think, um, yeah, we have to reframe and, and rethink about the way that we, we look at it. Uh, and certainly you can't ignore it, right? But you can't always just go, well, either A, default to they're just they're just evil and bad and wicked right. and or b default to oh no what are we doing wrong because not everybody is on board yeah well and 
so even in marriage, uh, like my wife is, there are times my wife is opposed to me, Yeah. but she's not oppositional, if that makes yeah. sense. So like there's a difference between offering a critique and having a critical spirit. Um, and so, you know, I can, I, I'm totally comfortable with my wife saying, are you wearing that today? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I'm totally comfortable with her going, Hey, I don't think you should say that in the next service. Um, because her heart, she doesn't have a critical spirit, right? She's for me, right? She's trying to help me get better. Um, but I could not be married to a woman who, who had a critical spirit, right? Who was just tearing me down, just, you know, looking for ways to, to assert her authority or dominance, you know, that kind of thing. And so again, it's, it's important for us to parse that out and go, okay, is this a critical spirit or is this a critique, uh, a well-intentioned critique? Yeah. So does that mean then that we are obligated to oppose the people that we love when we think that we have a credible reason to, and that we, that that is actually the path of righteousness is to to provide that opposition. And so then my next question is how do you as a leader, um, ensure that your culture remains such that people can do that? Like the people who work alongside you, like how do you prevent it from becoming a situation where, um, so there's a couple ways I think that, that this kind of thing can become dysfunctional. One is that if the the primary leader becomes so successful that yeah. just being around that person boosts your resume. Yeah, in and their like, orbit. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And so then you, you're disincentivized to oppose them because mm-hmm. you don't want to risk losing <clears throat> mm-hmm. the credibility that well, comes with being close to them. Not just that. It might be a pay situation where it's like, I'm, I can't lose this money. Because I've seen that too where there were people um, – making six figures at a church that wouldn't speak truth to leadership because what, what church was that <laughs> <laughs> because because of what it could cost them you know because of hey if i say this i'm going to lose i'm going to lose a six figure job and i'm not going to do that you know um and so it's not just it's not just the street cred it's not just the esteem it's not just the you know it's there are lots of really practical reasons why people don't yeah um so yeah so you have to kind of, doesn't that mean then that you have to make that part of your persona? Like mm-hmm. the, the, you have to invite it. You have to, yeah, you have to express to the people around you that you value that kind of opposition. And so I, I guess that's probably how you would remedy the issue of people not wanting to do that. Yeah. So how does somebody who's, I'll, I'll make this a little bit more personal. How does someone who's like a type A, like strong leader, I think that a person like that, like when I think of type A strong leaders, actually, I think I'm sitting across from two of them. And also I would say Kendall, Mm -hmm. like, so I think that, uh, you guys have like strong leadership styles. And so, um, do you think that you have to take more steps than other leaders to prevent, uh, people from kind of feeling like, uh, you know, I just can't, I can't bring that to him. A, it's not going to do me any good or B, I don't want to face the, you know, the backlash that comes from it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate that you would see me that way because I do not see myself that way at all, to be honest. Uh, I tend to be a consensus builder, in, I think, in, in the way that I lead. And if anything, uh, I could tend to um, be derailed by someone else's input um, too quickly rather than, you know. And so, so if I... Uh, if I come off as if I don't want to hear other people's input, it's probably because I'm too worried about 
how much it will affect me rather than the opposite of like, I'm going to just do my thing. And, you know, um, and so I think we can, all that to say, I think we can err in, in two different ways in regard to that. We can have a guard up that, that doesn't allow input because we don't have the, the wherewithal to, to, un, to hear it really without it shaking us or rocking us. And the other is an overconfidence that causes us to kind of run over yeah. what every, what everyone else has to say because we don't value it. Yeah. Um, and, and here's the thing, a lot of strong leaders, they're accused of being bullies. And sometimes, sometimes I am honestly, and that's not my heart, but if my heart's not healthy, I can bully people pretty easily. Um, and so I've got to be aware of that, number one. And so because of that, I can't just say, hey, welcome feedback. I've got to I've got to seek it out. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. I can't just say, yeah. hey, my door is open for you to come. I, I have to ask the question sometimes to people and go, hey, I got the sense you didn't agree with that. Let's talk about it. Why? Yeah, um, that does make sense. Like I remember a situation where you um, – like I think we were doing like a like a sermon meeting in your office, and you were kind of we were sketching out the sermons for the year, mm-hmm. and uh, it, so it was by invitation to yeah. like come in and, and say something. And yeah. I think I remember saying something that was like kind of just dumb and critical, like not really. There really was no reason to say it other yeah. than to just it popped into my mind and I didn't filter it. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> I can't, no, I, I did. I, okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, oh, so, and no, then you squashed me cause well, you said, well, no, it was just, it was, a, it was a weird moment. And then I remember I came back later in the day and I apologized to you for saying, for yeah. saying that thing. And then you had said, Oh no, well, I had actually invited you to come in. So it wasn't yeah. a big deal at all. Like, you, you know, I, I'm asking for your yeah. opinion in that yeah. situation. And so I think that that's, that does a lot. Like it did a lot for me in that situation. And I think it does a lot for, you know, if, if you're the kind of pastor who people are scared to talk to you or scared to uh, oppose you on something, just making it abundantly clear yeah. during prior, during and after the exchange, I think is huge because then it kind of helps the person realize, okay, you know, mm-hmm. when they are inviting it, then there's a green light. And if I say something dumb, then, you know, yeah. there are no dumb ideas and, brainstorming. Well, I don't think this is just like, you know, air quotes, strong leaders either. Um, I think by virtue of being the pastor of your church, there are some people that are going to esteem you differently because you're God's man. Right. And we've seen this, um, like in our, in our folks that have a Catholic background, it is amazing how they, and I don't mean that in a, like, I wish everybody did, but like, they look at me differently than people with Protestant backgrounds a lot of times right? because of the, the esteem they have for their priests and spiritual leaders. Um, and so even if I wasn't, didn't have the personality type I did, there would still be a weight in the authority that I carry that would make me unapproachable for some people. Yeah. And so I think whether you are, no matter what your personality type, no matter what your number is on the Enneagram, any of that kind of stuff, it doesn't matter if you're the senior pastor uh, if you're getting up every Sunday and preaching a sermon, th- you are going to be unapproachable for some people. Um, and so we've got to be aware of that. Okay. So speaking of people who uh, maybe inadvertently um, become high and mighty in the eyes of other people, uh, I want to sort of round the curve into some theology here. And I want to ask, does Jesus hold some people in higher regard than others based on how they live their lives? Or is everyone who believes in Jesus considered equal no 
Uh, Jesus does not regard other people differently from, yeah. So, and, and what I mean by that is that grace is freely available to every person who will call on the name of God, right? Who will receive it. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that God has attached promise to. Like, if you live in this way, right. I will bless you. If you follow th- this command or this directive or this instruction, then there will be blessing. Then there will... But even so, that's free for anybody. Exactly. It is yeah. equally available to everyone. Um, so it would seem, at least to me, that that God, there's, there's equal, you know, opportunity but 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 equity is not guaranteed in the scriptures, right? There are things that 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 are attached to promise, and so we, there's there's obedience in regard to that. That doesn't mean that God regards those people any any more than He does someone who's not following that. It just means that this the person who's not following that hasn't taken the opportunity that's available to them to receive the blessing of God in that way. That's the way I see it, at least. So the distribution of opportunity is equal. The distribution of gifts and ability probably is not equal, but then the gift is not right. So then the, the, this is, I think, particularly relevant to pastoral leadership is that, um, the, the distribution of responsibility is not equal then also if the distribution of ability is not equal. And so that's where I think like, um, you know, I have this, uh, this idea that's always kind of floating around in my mind about how, all people are just full of snakes. All people are just equally bad. I just mm-hmm. start there. I start at the bottom and then yeah. there's no disappointing me. Like it's just, <laughs> you can only go up. Everyone but, is Hitler until they prove otherwise. Until, Guilty right. until proven innocent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the issue that I think I see with that, at least coming up from the text, is that there there is an unequal distribution of responsibility. That seems clear to Mm -hmm. me. And so if you're in spiritual authority or you're in uh, leadership or, or, you know, pastoral leadership, it would be a mistake to think of yourself as equal to the congregation. And I think there's a couple different forces that might push pastors to think like that. One, uh, sort of the Americana, uh, democratic, everyone has Mm -hmm. one vote sort of thing. We're all in this just this incessant uh, cultural push towards equity. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all of that is kind of, uh, I think encourages pastoral leaders to think of themselves as no better, better. See, I, I feel kind of weird saying it. Even. Yeah. And, and so where am I going with this? Am I, is it, is it wise for a pastor to hold themselves to a higher standard than the congregation? And does that mean then that they are held in a higher regard by God than the congregation? Or is that, a uh, just a slippery slope. Well, um, so like go back to the parable of the talents, right? They were given different, they were given different amounts of money to manage based on, based on their capacity. Um, and, but they were held responsible for what they, what they produced with it. So the ones who multiplied what they got were faithful. The one who, um, just held on to what he had, um, was evil and wicked and lazy. Right. So I think, um, God doesn't treat us evenly. He treats us fairly. Yeah. So that's, I, I believe that's biblical. Um, but then we're held, um, we're held responsible for what we do with whatever God puts in our, puts on our hand, uh, whether it's a big church or a small church, whether that is a family, whether that is whatever it is, um, we're held responsible for that. And so God doesn't, 
esteem a pastor of a large church more than he does pastors of small church, or he doesn't esteem the president over a mayor, right? right? So he's not a respecter of people in that way. Um, But but there's an expectation associated with the the delivery of gifts, the delivery of opportunities, responsibility, all those kind of things um, that then we have to learn how to manage. So you get the high standard, you get the responsibility, and you get the accountability, but you don't get the esteem. Is kind of where we're landing on this, at least. Uh, that's, I mean, I think that's the way I would assess it. And yeah, I think that I, that feels I, like the kingdom of God to me, right? Yeah, right. Like, like, hey, the greatest of you must be the least. Like, mm-hmm. if you wanna, if you wanna be great in the kingdom, you're gonna serve. Um, and so I think. Again, that's why some people get into ministry and they're disappointed because they're like, oh, I'm going to have this big platform and I'm going to get a name. And it's like, man, your motive is all wrong. Yeah. Your heart is all wrong. Um, that's why, you know, Jesus says they've, re- they've received their reward already. There is no reward waiting on them Yeah, yeah. Um, because their reward is right now. Yeah, that's good. I, I think that that's uh, I like that assessment a lot. Well, and not only that, but if, if that's the thing that that I am pursuing, well, it's never going to be enough. Yeah. It'll never be enough, right? Um, if you have a congregation and 99% of the people in the congregation love you and 1% doesn't, you will focus on the 1%. Yeah. It just, <laughs> that is, we are just wired that way, yeah. especially if that's the thing that we're pursuing, right? Because that, you know, um, but if we, if our desire is to pursue Christ, and if we recognize that He has given us His approval, that we have the esteem of God, not because of what we've done, no matter how right. big our church is or how small our church is, but because He has chosen to, in Christ, cover us and love us. Uh, and what He wants from us is faithfulness. Going back to the, the parable of the talents, yeah. right? Yeah. The, 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 the servants who were were seen as good and faithful. It didn't matter the amount of talents they'd been given. It was what they did with them yeah. that God rewarded and that God was looking for. The one who had the one talent that buried it would have received the same well done right. as the mm-hmm. other two yeah. had he not buried the talent. And conversely, the one who had 10, if he'd gone out and buried them, yeah. would have received the same, you wicked and lazy servant, yeah. mm-hmm. as the one who had one. It's not about the amount of gifts we've been given. It's about our faithfulness in regard to them. Yeah, yeah. I love the the parable of the talents for this, to illustrate this particular issue, because the the what it hinges on, it's not at the end of the day... Uh, so say you've been endowed with a particular set of gifts or abilities or skills that you can use mm-hmm. to impact the kingdom of God in a great way. Um, you're not, if, and say you're faithful in mm-hmm. that way. At the end of it, God's not going to look at you and say, I made you better than all of these other right. people and you lived up to it. Good job. Right. He's going to say, good job for for being faithful with what I've given you, which right. is different from actually being better as a person. So it's not that it's not that we're better as people. Um, it's that we've been given more. Yeah. yeah. And as a consequence, we're held to a higher standard. Right. Well, and, and at the end of it, right, if we read the scriptures, at the end of it, none of that will matter to us. We will lay it all back down at the feet of Jesus. Right. Right? <laughs> and so if we are chasing after those things, we are chasing after things that that 
ultimately are to be laid at the feet of Jesus, that, that ultimately we're called to recognize these are not the things that were valuable. These are not the things that are worthy. It's, it's you, Lord, that's worthy. And, and this, these things that you placed in my hand were, were you know, we're given back to you. Mm-hmm. It was an honor, right, yeah. to, to be entrusted with these things so that I might serve you well. Uh, and if, and if, if that's not our heart now, that's not going to be our heart in eternity either. I mean, that's the yeah. thing we've really got to be pursuing. Well, and stretching the parable just a little bit, what you were talking about with, you know, he would have treated, if if the one who had gotten 10 had buried them, God would have treated them the same way. And and we fail to see that in our context in in churches because we go, oh, well, um, I mean, we talk to pastors of small churches all the time that are like, well, we have 100 um, and we only grew by like 12 people this last year, but... It's like, man, that's incredible. That's that's 12%. That is a really excellent (laughs) growth, right? But then we see a church of a thousand who's plateaued and hasn't grown and not reaching lost people. And we think, well, they're successful. Well, maybe, or maybe they're being unfaithful. They're maintaining. Right. Yeah. Uh, Right. And so the person who's multiplying, even if it's a small amount, is being faithful. They're the ones that get rewarded. But in our culture, it's the biggest churches get the most recognition and they're the most successful and they're the most, you know. Yeah. Maybe that pastor of a thousand is is going, Lord, I knew that you were severe. Yeah, absolutely. They're not not taking any risks. and So I kept these thousand. Yeah. And yeah. Wow. That, and that would be such an easy trap to fall into because a thousand's a lot, you know, yeah, like that's uh-huh. kind of, a, you know, you can, you can sit on, yeah. you can sit on a church like that and think that you're successful for the rest of your life. Well, and you're in the top 10% of the largest churches in the country, right? It's yeah. easy at that point to go, oh, we're doing well. Yeah. Other churches aspire to be like us right. and maybe they do, but, but churches that are not being faithful and not being fruitful and not being, not multiplying are not churches that God is pleased with yeah uh, god would much rather me pastor a church of a hundred that is growing and yeah. reaching lost people and then pastor a church of a thousand that just again doesn't take any risks doesn't do anything big for the kingdom isn't serving their community yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely so speaking of taking risks um there is uh th- there are some ministries i'm i'm actually personally involved with one of them that utilizes this and it's it's just a teaching team and so when i say teaching team i mean uh, you have one primary communicator, um, and this communicator is backed by like a team of developers or like a think tank. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I think it works really well um, in the context where where we use it uh, with the Young Adults Ministry United because of the idea of United being multiple churches kind of working together. So you mm-hmm. would invite leaders from those churches in on the on the drafting of the sermon, that sort of thing. Um, but I'm not convinced that it's a good idea always. And I think that we're, I think that people end up being pushed toward accepting this as a good idea because especially if you're in the position of pastor and say your, your board brings this to you and they say, Hey, I really think, you know, we should start a teaching team for the weekends. And well, there could be, that's like a, that's kind of like mail you don't want to open, right? Because it could mean any, it could mean lots of things. Like it could mean, you're not doing so great and you need (laughs) some help. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, 
but I think even even if the communicator is doing a good job, there can sometimes be like a pressure to just accept this because you don't want to come off as authoritarian over the message, yeah. and you don't you want to kind of democratize it. So, what's your opinion on the on the teaching team idea? Is it good? Is it not good? Or does it just depend on the context? It depends on the context, 100%. I mean, honestly, for most of the pastors who are listening to this, a teaching team is not even probably a possibility. Right. You know, they, they've they got, you know, 60, maybe 100 people in their church, none of, none of which aspire to be involved in the pastor's sermon prep, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so it's not even a possibility for them. Um, for those who are in a context where they have the resources to have a teaching team, I think it really depends on the leader. It really mm-hmm. does. Some some leaders don't that it does doesn't work for them, right? Um, taking a an illustration from somebody else, you know, it's like David putting on Saul's armor, yeah. maybe a little bit. You know, it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit for them, uh, and they they do better going and crafting a sermon on their own. And and maybe if they have a question, they might go to one of their staff members and go, "Hey, I'm." I'm not sure how I want to illustrate this. Do you have any ideas and that kind of thing? For others, it's much better to be in a, a team environment. But I think you just have to know yourself well enough maybe mm-hmm. to know what works for you. Like, I think I would do really well in a team teaching environment. That kind of, that that works for me. Um, I think Mel tends to want to work more solo and he does well that way, right? So I think yeah, it's I was just, waiting to see what you're going to say with that, but yeah, <laughs> good job. Uh, well, no. I was wanting to talk to you about last week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't welcome that kind of criticism and feedback. You've got a critical heart, Satan. Get behind me. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree with everything Todd said. It really does depend. I, and one of the things I would caution pastors against, because this is something that, I mean, <laughs> I'll just say, like Kendall has advocated for this a number of times on our team. And it's like, it's never going to look like you want it to look like <laughs> it's never going to. And I just slammed the door on him. Like it's not gonna happen. Sorry. Um, but, but, um, I would encourage pastors to be open to the idea. Um, because it might be a real value add for you, for you to be, uh, include a couple of key leaders, maybe not to help you, um, you know, work through the the finer details of the message, but maybe to give you a different perspective or point of view. And that's part of what we do when we do sermon planning, you know, September, Mm -hmm. October of every year for the following year is to be able to just open it up to get some different views and different, different perspectives. And so something like that might be really beneficial for pastors. And I would say, don't let your pride keep you from doing that. And don't let uh, poor planning keep you from doing that because poor planning can, you know, if you're writing your sermon at five 30, on Sunday morning in the church office, like that's poor planning. Uh, can the Holy spirit deliver it to you then? Yeah. But I feel like that's not the most faithful use of your time probably. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's hard to be creative, you know, when you've got a deadline staring at you. Um, and so it's better to be, you know, plan further out. And when you plan further out, you can invite some other voices in, but probably, a team of people don't want to join you in your office at 5.30 on Sunday morning to, right. to mm-hmm. brainstorm about your sermon. Well, and, you know, it's one thing if God wakes you up at 5.30 on a Sunday morning <laughs> right. and says, right. say this today, right? It's, uh-huh. a, it's another thing if you're waking up at 5.30 on Sunday morning and going, God, what what do I say today, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. 
And, you know, another way of opening yourself up to input when it comes to the creative process and sermon writing is just like, like this is something that you do, Pastor Mel, is you make yourself available afterwards, like yeah. in the lobby. Like yeah. you're there, you're there, you're ready to talk. Like if it, people have questions, they have criticisms, whatever, yeah. like they're, they know where to find you. You mm-hmm. know, you're not, you don't kind of go off into the back offices or something like that. The green room. If you're from but, Summit, please don't find Mel in the lobby on a weekend and do that. <laughs> Criticize his criticism. That is not the time. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till after the 11 o'clock service. I don't need that in my head before one of a... No, and usually criticism doesn't come there. It's usually the people that'll just give you the obligatory good word, pastor, or good homily today, father. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so let's end this on a somewhat, I think, depressing note. Um, Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> um, now this this has a this question. This next question has like a, a dual purpose. I think it has a purpose towards uh, if if there's someone listening to this who's not a pastor, who's just a believer and has this issue. But I think it has a purpose for someone who is trying to pastor someone who has this issue. Imagine you have someone who believes in God but hasn't prayed for a long time like, like 30 years long, like a, like a really long time. Um, and so you, this might be a person who's angry with God, or maybe they prayed for something once and their prayer didn't lead to the outcome that they wanted. What are some steps that this person can take to start praying again? Hmm. So at the risk of hurting someone's feelings who might be listening to this, if you haven't prayed for 30 years, you didn't know God. Right, at least mm. not the God that's revealed Himself in the Scriptures, because what we see time and time again with the God of the of the Bible is that He fellowships with those who suffer. Yeah. What what we see in the cross is not a God who is ignoring our suffering or who is separate from our suffering, but a God who chooses because of His great love for us to come and suffer alongside us to the point of death. Right to the point of an agonizing, torturous, shameful death on a cross. So this is not a God who is separate from our suffering. He understands it. He knows it. The writer of Hebrews says that he is acquainted with sorrow, right? A man of grief, a constant sorrow who is acquainted with grief. And so if our experience of God or our understanding of God does not include those truths about him, then we've misunderstood who he is. We've not known him as he truly is. And so that would be the first thing that I would say to someone who's not prayed for 30 years because they're angry with God, is that, man, you've not seen who God truly is. And and maybe that's hard for someone to hear, and I can certainly understand that. But it might be Um, a relief, though. Like It might be a relief to them to go, okay, the God that I thought I knew I didn't actually know. That's not the real God, so tell me who the real God is. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's what I was thinking while you were saying that. It's like, because yeah it first comes off like oh ooh, like that's really hard but then that is actually the most hopeful thing that a yeah. person in that situation can mm-hmm. hear because they're if they're reacting to what they thought was a betrayal by god right if, if as soon as they are able to open their eyes to the reality that they weren't betrayed by god they were betrayed by their misunderstanding of god yeah then the door becomes open to exploration to okay who are you really yeah and the truth of the matter is that For all of us who are following Christ, if we really are engaging with the Scripture, there are going to be things about God that the Scripture reveals that I go, oh, that's not what I thought, or that's not what I believed. 
And if we have to have the humility and the willingness to allow what I believe to be shaped and changed by the text rather than trying to bring what I believe to the text. Just take the Word of God at its, at its face value. And when it contradicts what I have believed or thought, then I have to be willing to, to realign with that, right. to be transformed by the renewing yeah. of my mind, as you know, Romans 12.2 tells us. Um, and it's in that that you know that reshaping that reforming that transforming of our minds that that you know scripture says that we're 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 made new that we're reshaped that we're reformed uh and and then by that right to just to follow paul's logic then i can i can prove what is god's good and acceptable and perfect will then i can know him um and then i believe in that process we will begin to pray when we see god for who he is we will begin to pray we will want to take our needs to him we will want to commune with him we will want to fellowship with him because he's beautiful and he is lovely and he is praiseworthy in every way there is no darkness in him whatsoever yeah i and you know pastors i think that this is one of the reasons why it's so important to say what you think is true because todd like if you're not if if a pastor is not willing to sit across from someone who's in that situation and say that to them then they don't have a chance at new discovery mm-hmm. that they're going to be stuck in that yeah. place that they've been at for the decades. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to say to someone like it's well, cause just about anything else, any of the standard platitudes we would throw out for somebody who's dealing with that, it would be, well, Hey, you've just got to know God loves you. And they're thinking, oh, I don't feel very loved by God. Yeah. You know, God's been absent in my life that if God loves me, he would not have, you know, because um, we, we would throw these things out trying to bring comfort to them, but all it's going to do is add bricks to the wall, basically. You know, right. um, there's there's not a lot we can say in that moment that's going to soften their heart. But, you know, and what Todd said is true. Um, I think it, it really is the the beauty of God that uh, elicits awe in our lives. You know, you know when we see how, how beautiful not the right word but it, it is it is the right word yeah. because it's all encompassing and we see the the kindness the love yeah. that we see the mercy we when we see all of that together and um, that is what draws us to God it's not a slick presentation it's not my preaching or the worship you know it's it really is if some if we can just get somebody connected to the beauty of Christ and what he's done for us then that's the game changer um and so you know, so I love I love the the approach you took with that as you were walking through it. It's like, hey, you, you just you didn't know the real God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the that's the winning answer right there. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a that's a down chorus to end this <laughs> podcast on, but it's a nice one, I think. You know, because yeah. it's a it's a it because is a, a little. This is beautiful. Yeah, it's like well, a mini crucifixion, but it's it also comes with its resurrection. Yeah, yeah. it has hope. There's hope. Um, so yeah. All right. Uh, thanks Mel, Todd. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for listening to the back 40 leadership podcast and we'll see you in the next episode. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcasts.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit podcasts can be found on Apple podcasts, Spotify, 
wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.